Donovan Miller. Justin Shannon. And action. We're Paul Smith's rugby team. What are you going to say? You're messing it up? No, you're messing it up. Coming up next on Rugby Wrap-Up, Rugby World Cup Talk with George Hook. Rugby Wrap-Up brought to you in part by the Balanced Palette, nutrition for peak performance. And the Pig and Whistle on West 36th Street, the world's best rugby pub. Hey everybody, welcome back to Rugby Wrap-Up. Matt McCarthy at the Fantasy Sports Network Studio 34 in New York City talking rugby. And we've got one of the biggest names in rugby on the planet in Mr. George Hook. Coach, welcome back. Yeah, well, you've certainly got the oldest. I'm not sure about anything else, but I definitely qualify as the oldest. I don't, I don't, I don't know that that's true, Coach. Yeah, I can remember when William Webb Ellis picked the ball up and ran with it. I was uh, on Saturday, I was at my niece's second birthday party because these days they throw extravagant birthday parties for a two-year-old. And I stopped watching the Ireland-England game and it was 10-8 in, front, in favor of Ireland. Can you tell me what was the final score, how much Ireland beat England by? Yeah, well, it's interesting. It was um, one of the biggest scores in our history. Uh, and uh, the dastardly English scored 57 points to our 15. And as somebody a lot more uh, clever than I am said, we were lucky to get 15. Um, there's no hiding behind this. Uh, this is a disaster. The last time I remember a disaster like this, it was in 2007. And coincidentally, in 07, like 19, we think we're going to win the World Cup. And we played Italy in Belfast. And we beat Italy by an illegal try um, and by Ron O'Gara. And we sat there after the match and we said, how can we think that we're going to win the World Cup when we can only beat Italy uh, with an illegal try? True enough, we go to France. We don't even get out of the pool. And I have to say that there are worrying uh, coincidences, if you like, between 07 and 19. And there, there is now, I think, people in Ireland are now seriously talking that we're not going to get out of the pool. And in theory, we've got the easiest of the four pools. And I don't think, we're, I, I agree. I think we're going to find it very difficult. All right, a couple of points that we have fundamental differences of opinion on here. Number one, I look at these things as a yank and say, this is like spring training for Major League Baseball or the NFL exhibition season where you got guys with 107 running up and down on their jerseys and they, you know they're not making the squad. Maybe they'll make it on the taxi squad. I'm looking at these warm-up matches and I'm looking at a guy like Joe Schmidt, a guy that's the only one to beat New Zealand in Ireland's history twice, not once, twice. And he's a Kiwi. And to beat Kiwis, you got to be a Kiwi, I think. And I'm just saying, and there are those that make this argument as well, that these are just warm-up matches. They don't matter. And in the meantime, England, you could argue the other side of it. Yeah, they're, they're smashing people in the warm-ups or, or not. But do you think there's an element of that here? 
Uh, no, I don't. Uh, for for this reason, um, I I was in Chicago the first time we beat the All Blacks, which was an extraordinary uh, event. And then to watch us do it again, I didn't. I never thought in my lifetime I'd see us beat New Zealand, let alone twice in succession. But here's the point: our most recent past which counts, the Six Nations Championship is not warm-ups. This is the real deal. We had a horrific Six Nations Championship, and our quarterback, the number 10, at one point perhaps talked about us, one of the top two fly-outs in the world, Johnny Sexton, was simply awful. He was almost incapable of restarting the game from the halfway line. Now, we played two warm-up games, and we haven't seen Sexton. And the best information is we're not going to see him next week either. So can you keep your quarterback in cotton wool and just unveil him in the Super Bowl and, hey, presto, everything works? I don't think it does. And to think that two of the best coaches in Europe are, are Irish. Two of the best coaches in Ireland are Europe. Conor O'Shea is Italy. And Mark McCall at Saracens. Now, why are McCall and O'Shea not the Irish coaches after Schmidt? I suspect because they don't want it. And that begs a really worrying question about Irish rugby, is why do Irish coaches not want to coach their national team? And that's very worrying. So the short thing is, eight World Cups, and Ireland, who have never got past the quarterfinal, ever, in their history, if they win the pool or come runner-up, they obviously qualify. And the alternative is New Zealand or Japan. Which do you want, the H-bomb or the A-bomb? <laughs> because either way, you're on the plane home. Uh, well, again, I, I just, I have... Too much faith in Joe Schmidt, and you and I have butt heads on on Coach Schmidt. I don't have any faith in Joe Schmidt. I have zero. I've had zero faith in Joe Schmidt since he came to Ireland. And Schmidt's record so far in the World Cup is dismal, and he is about to repeat that this time. Now, what what's the biggest mistake he's made? The biggest mistake he's made is in, a, a, in an absolute surfeit of egotism. He announces his resignation the best part of two years in advance, right? I don't know how many soccer fans you have listening to the program, but let's talk about Manchester United. Greatest manager in the history, perhaps, of Manchester United, Alex Ferguson. Ferguson does precisely the same. Hello, folks, I'm going in a couple of years. And then the wheels fall off at Manchester United, and then he comes back in a failed attempt to try and save the thing, and they still haven't recovered. So what you have now is you have players who have lived in fear of this coach for his entire time at Ireland. You now have players saying, hold on here. He's not the boss anymore. He's going anyway. This is not important. And that's reflected on that pitch. Interesting standpoint. I, I can't necessarily disagree with you on that. I, I, I agree with you on that lame duck status that he put upon himself uh, with players competing. But you, you, you'd expect players to compete. This is for their nation. This is for the World Cup. And it seemed like guys didn't compete 
in the capacity that they have in the past, certainly this past week, certainly against England. So the, the future, what, what, the World Cup, it's going to be interesting. But I, that brings me to my next point. Are you going to be going to Japan? No, um, because I always feel if I go to Japan, I feel utterly illiterate. I can't read anything. I can't write anything. I can't speak anything. Uh, and for G-Hook, not reading, writing, and speaking is pretty difficult. Interestingly, George Hook the Third is going, my son, and 10-year-old George Hook the Fourth is going. <laughs> He's going to have some extraordinary memories of Rugby World Cup, including also a bullet train. So between the bullet train and the rugby, he's going to have a great time. Yeah, I, I was over there and I scouted all the venues, and it is it's going to be it's going to be great. It's going to be great. It's too bad you're not going, especially since you've got uh, three and four going. Um, but are you sure they're going to be going to the right World Cup? <laughs> <laughs> now, I mean, this is extraordinary. Like, there are major problems facing this game. Uh, sevens versus 15s, Olympics versus uh, World Cup, uh, the traumatic brain injury, which is a monster problem, the fact that the game is becoming increasingly unattractive, the fact that mothers are pulling children out of the sport uh, in their thousands. And what does rugby world, world rugby do? They say every World Cup in the future is going to be called the World Cup. So you're expected <laughs> to know that World Cup 20, whatever the hell it is, is actually the woman's one. So you might actually spend about 10 grand and finish up watching the men's game when it was saying you want to see the women's or vice versa. Can you actually imagine going to the Olympic Games and they don't, they say the high jump is at three o'clock and they don't tell you whether it's the men's or women's high jump. Or the 100 meters is at 4 o'clock. They don't tell you what the men's wins are coming. Final question for you, George. Who's going to hoist the Webb Ellis Cup in 2019 in Japan? Well, when South Africa, when I went there in 1995 and watched Nelson Mandela and Francois Pinar and, and the Raising of Cup, I, I just thought it was an extraordinary thing for that country. And then when I heard that for this World Cup, the South African team was going to be picked on the basis of positive discrimination. They would have to have so many African players. I thought South African rugby will never recover from this. Not in a decade, but never. They will never recover from it. What Erasmus, the coach, has done, and what South African rugby has done, is first to pick the best coach. First to get the best coach. And then he has built an extraordinary team, which I thought was impossible. They've played New Zealand three times recently. One win, one draw, one loss. Total points difference? Yeah. Two. Yeah. So therefore, I, I hope, because the last team I ever want to see win anyway is New Zealand, you know. Ever since I discovered the pubs closed at six o'clock, I've never been a great fan of New Zealand. But the thing is, I would love to see South Africa win it. 
I would love to see it for the concept of the rainbow nation. I would love to see it for, for black people who've been sold an absolute pup by their own leaders. Um, I would like to see them win it for the, the way that white South Africans, almost you could say, like almost a traditional enemy, you know, uh, or back in history, the Africana and so on. And these white and black men coming together to produce a great team. I'd love to see South Africa win it. Oh, uh, you'd say you said you'd love to see them win it. Are you picking them? I am, yeah. I, right. I'm, I'm really thinking about South Africa. All but right. I tell you this, I tell you this. Four years ago, Japan beat South Africa. They also won three games in their pool. They were the only team to win three games in the pool and not make it to uh, the knockouts. They will be a monster danger to Ireland. And my other bet is that we won't make the knockout stages. All right. I'm going to bet you an adult beverage in Ireland that Ireland makes it out of their pool and they don't lose to Japan. You take that bet? Now, but your big problem is that by the time President Trump is finished with the Chinese, <laughs> you, you won't have enough dollars to buy an adult's beverage. Fair enough. You, I hope you're wrong, but you may not be. On that note, uh, Mr. George Hook, I, I know that you're pressed for time, but we have another segment coming up, an MLR segment, and I got a fellow Irishman, James Kennedy, owner of Rugby United New York. Can you stick around and come back for that one? Oh, absolutely. I mean, any relative of Joe Kennedy's is a friend of mine. <laughs> I don't, we'll have the research department look into that one. I don't know if that's accurate. But in the meantime, on behalf of Coach George Hook, who was part of Team USA's staff in the very first World Cup in 1987, I'm Matt McCarthy for Rugby Wrap-Up, signing off.